welcome to all of you this morning. My name is Luke. I serve as one of the pastors here at Mercy Road. I want to say happy Father's Day to all of you dads in the room. Can we just give it up for the daddies in the room? Thank you for what you do. Thank you for being a dad. I want to start off by sharing a little story with you, and then we'll pray. Uh, my mom is going to kill me for telling you this story. So when I was like in, I don't know, like seventh grade, sixth grade, my, my mother coached like middle school and high school volleyball for girls. And so like clearly I couldn't play because I was a dude, but I was her ball boy. So I'd show up to her matches and like when a ball would run out of court, I'd like run and go grab that ball and like put it back in the basket. And like, you know, I was a sixth grader. I was like, I've got a job here. This is pretty cool. And uh, I was actually much younger than sixth grade. I think I was like six. Anyhow, I'll never forget at a match when I was like super young, my mom brought all these girls around her for this volleyball match. And it, it could have been middle school girls. It could have been high school girls. I can't really remember. But she brought them all in. I'm like, what is she going to say to these girls? And so like I leaned in real close like this to see if I could hear my mom. She goes, girls, look at me. So like they all looked at my mom, right? And she goes, girls, we're not here to have fun. We're here to win. And like, as a kid, I was just like, she's so intense. And like, but I think she actually won that match. So, I mean, it worked. It's my turn to share that with this church this morning. I want to speak to all of the father's hearts in the room. You are not here to have fun this morning. You are here to win at being a dad. You are here to be challenged at being a dad. And all of you are here because the Holy Spirit has brought you here this morning, and God's word never returns void. So whatever is spoken over your heart, God wants it in your heart to plant a seed so something great will grow out of you. But dads, this is like my one Sunday where I can come at you, right? Where I can come at you with some energy, right? And all of God's grace and all of God's mercy precedes everything that I'm about to say. However, you are not here to have fun. That happens when you walk out and get your soft pretzel after service. Can we give it up for the host team this morning who got the donuts ready for us and got a soft pretzel trailer? OMG, post-service is going to be on fire. Dads, let's pray together, and as we do, I'm just going to ask, if you are married in the room, wives, would you just intercede on behalf of your husband this morning? Because all the words I'm going to share are for every human soul in the room, but I'm guiding them towards Father's ears, okay? So would you just intercede for your husband as we pray? God, we're just calling on you right now that your mercy, your grace would change humans from the inside out that it would change fathers, this high call to love and raise children, to spread families and communities that glorify you, that can reach the lost, disciple the found, and send the saved out for your mission, Jesus. And so we're just asking you right now, would you just soften whatever stone-like hearts any of the men are bringing into the room right now? Would you just grab hold of it and with the warmth of your palm, make it soft so that people can hear you, so that they can accept you, receive you. We're praying right now, God, for your very best in this church this morning. And all of God's people, men and women, said, amen. So dad, today is the day you are going to make 
massive, meteoric changes in your life. Massive, meteoric changes in your life. The calling on your life is not small. It is not by accident. God has placed a calling on your life. And I would even just continue to ask that if you are married, that the wives in the room, that as I communicate, that you would continue to intercede on behalf of your husband. In the thoughts and minds, in the, in the thoughts of your mind, as I communicate, that you would just say prayers for your husband, as, that he could hear these words as I share them. John Locke says it is one thing to show a man that he is in error and another to put him in the possession of truth. And so on this Father's Day in 2023, I have one simple intention is to put truth into the possession of every man's hand in this room. Every father's man and man in this room. That their hands would possess something called the truth of God's word and that that truth would change them deeply from the inside out. But truth will never change you first. The truth of God's word will offend you before it changes you. And that is always how God's word works, is that it pulls away and strips away the things in our lives that we don't want to hear but desperately need to hear so that we can become more like Jesus, so that we can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to know that as I um, communicate all of this this morning, that I preached all of this to myself first, okay? So I do not disclude any of this. I include myself in all of it. Let's briefly recap where we're at. We're in this series called Blessed, and the big idea here is that Jesus started his ministry with a public sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and in that was this list of things called the Beatitudes, and this was classic rabbi move. He would create a list And that list would basically summarize the body of teaching that Jesus intends for his audience disciples to comprehend, grasp, and live from. And so the Beatitudes are a classic list, like I said, summarizing the the body of Jesus' teachings here. And we get to verse 7, and we get this uh, additional blessed. And blessed in the original language means... God's favor, or you're happy because you have God's favor. And so we get to verse 7, and we get another teaching moment from Jesus where he's speaking to something relevant in this audience. I mean, he's not going to bring it up if it's not relevant, if it doesn't have the power to change people from the inside out. He's not going to waste oxygen. So he is saying this because whoever is listening needs to hear it. And that is the power of Jesus' communication in all of God's word. He's not going to bother to say it if it doesn't have the power to change you from the inside out. And so what do we have here in verse 7? It says, blessed are the merciful. So what's the rendering, right? God's favor is on the merciful. Or be happy. You should be happy because God's favor is on the merciful the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is making a pronouncement of correction, stating that God's favor doesn't rest on the vengeful or even on the fair. God's favor rests on the merciful, presupposing that something is or was unfair, which necessitates mercifulness. Mercy wouldn't be required if there wasn't something to apply it to that was unfair or out of balance or wrong. 
And we don't live in a merciful world, do we? No, not a bit. We do not live in a merciful world. I just think it's cool that the name of our church is Mercy Road. And that it's, it's not something else that captures any other heartbeat than that of God's. I just think it's so cool that we're all invited to walk a road called mercy, but we don't live in a world whose roads are called mercy. We live in a world that is dog-eat-dog. Dog. We live in a world of kill or be killed, hunt or be hunted. In the world of sales, I think it's like eat what you kill, right? And so we don't live in a world that has a default posture of mercifulness. We live in a world that is antithetical to that. We live in a world that is dog-eat-dog. Like if it means that you can get higher up by stepping on someone, step on someone. That's the world we live in. But at Mercy Road, you're being invited to walk on a road that's called mercy. Because God's default posture to you and to me is one of mercy. I just think that it's important for all the fathers in the room to hear me say, like, I understand what it means to live in a dog-eat-dog world. And although I would describe working in and at the church as probably one of the most encouraging work environments on planet Earth, all human souls, every human spirit, is vulnerable to that dog-eat-dog kind of mentality. And you don't know it till it's too late, right? My brother serves at a hospital, and he's like, Luke, I can't tell you. I probably serve in one of the most discouraging work environments in the world. I'm like, Josh, I have no idea, because I probably work in one of the most encouraging work environments in the entire world. And I just want to acknowledge that if there's a man, there's a father in the room right now, that you work in one of the most discouraging work environments in the world, that you constantly are in this uh, trap of dog-eat-dog, hunter-be-hunted, killer-be-killed, you know, eat what you kill, that like, that hustle, that I don't care if I have to step on someone to get higher up on the ladder, like, I just want to invite you in to this next moment. Because I don't really know what you're going through at your work. I don't really know what your work is doing to you. But we do know that a dog-eat-dog world does horrible things to the human soul. It does terrible things to the human spirit. And I don't think God wants that for you. That God wants so much more for you. This whole idea reminds me of deer hunting. Let me explain. So I'm a, I'm a novice deer hunter. It's my second season. This next fall will be my third. Thank you, friend. And uh, I'm not very good. The first season, I got a little one. The second year, I got, I got a doe. I'm really happy about that. But here's the thing about deer hunting. The thing about deer hunting is that you, you prepare yourself to go hunt. And so, you, like, you put on the camo, and, like, you find your spot, and, like, you do a little bit of research. You watch the weather. And so, like, you go in prepared, right, to go deer hunting. But when you actually get to the deer stand, it's this long commitment of the blend of anticipating the arrival of said deer and doing absolutely nothing, right? That is deer hunting. You sit in the stand and you do absolutely nothing while this low-grade fever of anticipation that the prized deer will rock right in front of you, 
This is deer hunting. Right when said deer arrives in your world, you go from zero to like 160 just like that. And you cannot wait to take home venison to your family. Here's the thing about venison. When I took my doe this past Christmas and I brought home some venison after we had the deer processed, we prepared some, we put it in a pan, and we fried it up, and we fed it to our kids. And although my wife is way more gracious than I am to myself, I'm like chewing it, and I'm like, this is barely edible. I thought to myself, like, all that? All that for something that's just barely edible? Like, I'm grateful for the food, but man, the flavor is not there. Men, fathers, we have the tendency to be like deer venison. Your family is happy that you're home and that there's something on the plate, but they don't like your flavor. They're happy you're home, they're happy you're there, but because you live in a dog-eat-dog world, you're coming home empty, defeated, and angry. And you've got no flavor to offer. You put in the time, you finally brought something home yourself, but the one thing that your family wanted, which was you, came home flavorless. What hope do you have living in a world that is dog-eat-dog? What hope do you have living in a world that is kill or be killed, hunt or be hunted? How can you come home to your, your family, your highest calling with flavor that is not anger, that is not defeat, that is not deflated, but you can bring home flavor that is mercy and delight. It might seem like an impossible task, but it's not. And this is the power of God's word. For any of you right now who are caught in that, who are coming home, and your family's just grateful you're home, but they're just not liking the flavor that you're bringing right, right now, there is hope for you, but you must know that you are playing next to fire with a can of gasoline. That families can only handle so much of that before they look elsewhere for the flavor you were supposed to bring to them. It's not a threat, it's reality. Listen to me, guys. Stop playing with fire with a can of gasoline in your hand and listen to the words of God. James 2.13, starting in verse 12, says this, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What's James saying here? James is saying that God's default posture towards you, Dad, is one of mercy. Until you have decided to withhold mercy yourself from someone else. This is no good place to be. God wants for you the very same thing he gives to you. This conditionless mercy, which makes our God so worthy and unique and separate from any other belief system on planet Earth is the default of mercy he has on you. And he wants you to have that default towards all others as well. And every single man in this room exists this 
lion-like man. It's just like, oh, I'm going to go and kill and bring home for my family. And there's just like this toughness that's deep inside of you. And I just want to invite you, the same invitation that was invited to me. I want to invite you to give the Holy Spirit permission to shave off that lion hair and instead grow some lamb's wool. Grow some lamb's wool. Something that truly has the ability to change someone, mostly you, so that you can participate in changing others as well. Why does this happen to us, fathers? Why does this happen to us? Why does it happen that we find ourselves in these rhythms of needing to be first and right and the winner to consolidate power inside of yourself so that you can control outcomes and the thing that you are responsible for doing and all of a sudden you become someone who has a reputation of don't approach that person. They live in a dog-eat-dog world. They might not have language for that, but they're like, that's not a safe person. I think deep down, each one of you fathers in the room, you crave and desire, you do want to be a safe person. So how do you become that? And why does it happen? Well, this is just Luke's opinion. I think it happens because when your ambition outruns your ability, mercy evaporates. Do you understand how I mean? You live in the most high-pressure country in the entire world when it comes to productivity. Everything is coming at you to produce, to produce, to produce. And if it doesn't scale, it's a failure. That's the environment you live in. That's the environment we work in, is that if it doesn't scale and scale quickly, it must not be viable. It must not be godly. And when your ambition outruns your ability, of mercy evaporates. Well, why does mercy evaporate? Because the stress that comes with this very out-of-balance approach to life is inevitable. If your character cannot withstand what God has called you to be competent with, you will implode. The insides of you will become angry and resentful and bitter and judgmental. And the people that are going to feel it and hear it the most are those who are sleeping upstairs in your house. You live in a dog-eat-dog world but you also live in a merciful kingdom and you are church and God loves you and God wants more for you. So have the courage to listen to the words of the living God. What help do you have? Take possession of truth and let it reform you from the inside out. And some of you need to make massive meteoric changes in your life today. St. Gregory of Nyssa, he's quoted saying, true holiness is merciful and compassionate, but false holiness, holiness can do nothing but be angry and rage. If you resonate with any of that, Dad, take possession of truth. Take possession of this truth from God's word Allow it to plant the seed in your heart and counterform you the way the world has formed you. And the world has called you to be a dog-eat-dog, a kill-or-be-killed, 
hunter be hunted. That's the world's calling on your life, but that is not God's calling on your life. Someone agree with me this morning. You have a much higher calling than productivity. Jesus then addresses this very same audience and he makes another pronouncement of correction that God's favor rests on the pure in heart rather than on some other kind of purity. So look at verse 8. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now again, this pre-assumes or presupposes that there was something that Jesus was communicating to this audience of people that they needed correction from. He wouldn't have bothered saying, blessed are the pure in heart, if they didn't think that being blessed in purity in some other way was the way. This is where history is just such a helpful teacher. You see, a Jewish understanding of purity was external, okay? So a Jewish understanding of purity was clean hair, clean skin, clean clothes. It was all external. It was all aesthetic. This was a, you can look this up in any history book when it comes to Jewish history. The the Jewish understanding of purity was consolidated in external purities. It was hygiene central, okay? It was hygiene central. And I'm I'm all for a shower, right? So what's Jesus saying here? What's Jesus teaching here? What's Jesus communicating to this group of people? He's saying God's favor rests on the pure in what's on the inside, not what's just on the outside. That God does not first look at the aesthetic. He does not first look at do they have clean hair, clean clothes, clean skin. He's looking at do they have a clean heart? Do they have a pure heart? I thought it was so interesting. I had no plans for this, but when I was reading commentary, I found this quote from commentary from Martin Luther, the great reformer from the 16th century. Listen to what he says in this this commentary on the Beatitudes, on this very verse. Quote, But the scripture speaks of this pure heart and mind, that it is quite consistent with it, that one be a husband love his wife and children, think about them and care for them, and busy himself about other matters that belong to such relation. For all this God has ordained. But what God has ordained, that cannot be impure. Yes, it is the very purity with which we see God. What's the point here? What's the new way of thinking, church family? That purity is putting your priorities in a godly order. Do you understand? That purity is putting your priorities, your life's priorities in order, but in a godly order. Productivity is not bad. It is very good. It just needs to be in the right order. Your hobbies are not bad. They are very good. They just need to be in the right order. Your rest, your relaxation, your self-care, all of these things, your mental health, all the stigma has moved away from mental health, so we can talk about mental health all the time. All good, they need to be in the right order, and the right order is a godly one. It's a godly one. And blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the pure in heart. Dads, what will it take for all of us, myself included? Remember, I preached all of this to myself first before I'm preaching it with you. What is it going to take 
for dads to put their priorities in a godly order? Well, I think it's going to take quite a bit. So <laughs> I want to share, share something with you. This is kind of a funny deal. So the Edgerton family just recently bought a used camper. I know Dave Ramsey would be just so mad at me right now, right? He just would never say. It's like the quickest like, thing that just depreciates in value. It's like campers are the quickest thing that depreciate in value. But it's also the Edgerton family's vacation plan for the next 10 years while we've got kids in the house. So we bought this used camper, and my wife and I had been thinking about this for some time because uh, I grew up camping, and she loves the outdoors too, but we're like, hey, let's take these kids camping, but I do want a toilet. I was like, hey, I'm all for that. So we've been shopping for this thing for like the last nine, we've been talking about it for two years, but we've been shopping seriously for like the last like nine, six months, and finally we found something that my wife wanted. It was a little used. It was like new enough that it like, you know, the wheels spun, but a little used. When we went to go check this thing out, I'm pretty naive, right, when it comes to like buying a camper. So when we went to go check this thing out, I'm like looking on the outside. I'm like, oh man, this thing looks polished. This thing looks like it's in good shape. I was like, look at me. I can find a used camper that works just fine. This thing's got like shiny wheels, clean tires, no paint scratches anywhere, fiberglass is all polished up and shiny looking. Yeah. I walked inside. Most everything looked like it was put together just fine. I was like, okay. Hey, babe, this is the price. What do you think? She's like, yep, yep, let's do it. This will be our vacation plan the next, you know, 10 years, whatever, while the kids are home. Let's, let's do this. I'm like, all right. So I hooked it up, brought it home. She's like, hey, Luke, did you, did you test the water out first? Uh, no. Didn't test anything. Because when you buy a camper for the first time, you don't know what you are doing. <laughs> and so I walked inside the camper, and I'm like fiddling with it. I'm calling buddies that I go to this church that have campers. They're like, hey, did you check that? So I'm like, no, I didn't check that out. I should have called you first. And so I'm testing all this stuff, and I turn the water on, and the kitchen floods. And I was like, yeah, camper, cool, let's do this. Let's clean up the kitchen. And so then I refastened the water lines to the hose deal, got all that fixed after some buddies helped me do it. And I was like, okay, now we're ready to go camping. Like, right, let's test the water one more time. Okay. So I filled up with water, turned the water on, flushed the toilets. The bathrooms flood. Yeah. <laughs> so glad we bought a used camper, people. Don't do that. So we fixed the bathrooms. And we fixed this, and we fixed that, and we fixed this, and we fixed that, and we just kept fixing things and fixing things and fixing things. And by God's mercy, most of them were low-dollar Amazon little buys that could fix them quickly. The point is this. If you want to become a father who puts their priorities in a godly order, your life on the outside to your clients and to your employees and even to your family, might look really glossy and polished on the outside. But on the inside, there are broken things. And you must let the Holy Spirit inside of you to fix whatever is broken. Because it is not the externals that matter. It is not how polished the fiberglass is of your life, Dad. It is the inside things, like sink fittings and toilet valves. Those are the things the Holy Spirit wants to fix inside you. 
If you want to become the kind of man and father who can put their priorities in a godly order, you must give the keys to the Holy Spirit to enter that camper's heart, to get inside of you, to mess around inside of your soul and fix the things that are broken. And that is not a pleasant or fun experience. There will be flooding, and there will be a mess to clean up. But you must have the courage to let him in. Here's my question for you. Is your inner world right now commensurate with your outer life? Is your outer life polished and shiny, so good-looking that people would spend money, I'll buy that used camper all day. Look at that thing. That thing sparkles in the sun, but on the inside, it's broken. And it needs attention. And you can't fix it yourself. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit inside of you to fix what's going on. If your inner life and your outer life are not aligned, it is only a matter of time before it is a cataclysmic collision between the two, creating catastrophic collateral damage to the people that you care deeply about. And if you desire the inside of the camper to be one with the outside of the camper, you've got to call on the Holy Spirit to take that key that he has and allow him in to start fixing those broken things. And here is the good news. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is so well-suited to fix whatever's broken inside of you. He is. He can repair your unbalanced, disproportional sense of ego. He can repair the hurt and the bitterness, the lack of forgiveness that's in your heart. He can repair that. He can make it new again. You must allow the Holy Spirit. He is so perfectly suited. He is God. He can repair the insides of you which has to be repaired if you're going to become a man, a a father, a husband who can put priorities in a godly order. And I know that you want that, but wanting that and actually seeing it in your life are two different things. I know you can. I know that you can. You must first tell yourself that you can. So here's where the application sweeps into your worlds, men. First, start with, I can. You must say it deep in your soul. Don't say it even out loud. Don't contribute to the polished camper. Start allowing the Holy Spirit to fix what's inside of you that is broken. Start with, I can. The challenge of fatherhood is really just negotiating disappointment. The demands of adult life and the demands of family are beyond most dad's capacities. And there comes a time in every man's life where you will need to confront reality head on and acknowledge that you will be disappointing someone somewhere in your life at some time. I didn't really play sports growing up. I love baseball. Uh, I'll watch the Super Bowl. But... I didn't really play sports. I just didn't for whatever reason. I was really into all the other stuff, right? Skateboarding, music, like outdoorsy things. I was in this really, really, at the time, amazing garage rock band when I was in high school. 
like looking back now, like it's amazing anybody came to our like weekend garage band shows. But you know who was always there? <laughs> my dad and my mom. Given they had earplugs in. <laughs> but my dad and my mom. Dad, do not miss your kids' meets. Do not miss your kids' games, your recitals, your musicals, the exhibits. You don't have to like it. You just have to show up. Because they'll be looking for you. Perhaps with earplugs in their ears. But they will be looking for you. That's going to sting some of y'all because some of y'all grew up without a father. Some of y'all grew up with that completely absent from your life. And wouldn't you know that your faith tradition, Christian, is the one tradition where God the Father can be your father. A father that never disappoints. A father that always shows up. A father who will always love you, who will discipline you and always love you. He will not drop the ball in your world. He will not show up late to your life. God the Father is the Father that all of us long for. Every man, every woman, every child in this room can experience a Father, and His name is God. And He is so good. He is so good. And I understand the pain of having no father. I had a father, but I watched my father's pain reflect on the absent father in his world. And wouldn't you know that he chose to be present in his children's life, even though his father wasn't necessarily present in his. You have a father and his name is God. And if you've needed to understand that, to take a step of faith, perhaps today is your day. The salvation is just around the corner because you understand that God is not mad at you, that God is not waiting for you to screw up, that God is not going to disappoint you, that he's not going to not show up to your game, your recital, your meat. But he craves and longs for your presence. And he knows that you crave and long for his. He is your dad. And his name is God. I hope that you are touched by that theological and profound truth. But there are other dads in the room that don't necessarily need a heart-to-heart. You need a kick in the rear. What you need is to understand that the cost of disappointing your children's, it costs more than disappointing anyone else. You must understand this, dad. The price that you will pay for not showing up to your kids' meets, your recitals, the games, all of those things. It will cost you more. It will cost you later. Get ahead of it now. If you have young children, make the commitment now. Wives, stop listening to me. Start praying to God that your husband will understand this now that he would not take the trip, but instead stay home to not miss the daughter's recital deal. Now you must make this commitment in your heart. Stand firm on this. The price of disappointing your children will cost you more. And if you understand the world of business, you will understand that because it has to do with money. 
and price and cost. Dads, you have one opportunity to be your children's father. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. A pastor's heart will tell you that I will disappoint you. As I was reflecting on this and trying to understand how the Holy Spirit might want to rally us to this idea of being blessed are those who are merciful and blessed are those who are pure in heart, I thought to myself, well, gosh, I needed this just as much as anybody else, but I also am negotiating disappointment every single day. Part of the unique role of a pastor is wanting to be there for the congregation in every possible way. And I have just, as a 37-year-old, have witnessed too many pastors succumb to what I would call the adulterous power of God's church over their souls. I was recently driving, and God finally gave me some very crass language to identify what was happening inside of me. And this is just me being so authentic with you. And God simply gave me the words, it's kind of like you're cheating on me with my church. And it struck me, the sword of the Spirit stabbed me like through the heart and out the back. Because I realized that even though we have a big, bold vision of adding a thousand spirit-filled people to Indiana by 2030, which I'm 100% committed to, it was in that moment I knew that I could not sacrifice my relationship with Jesus or my commitment to my wife and children on the altar of church growth on the altar of organizational expansion, on the altar of arbitrary metrics. We will facilitate growth at every level, but not at the expense of family health, yours or mine. I just have the courage to tell you, it's likely that I will disappoint you at one time or another. And my plea to you is to muster enough courage to confess the same thing in your heart that you too can disappoint people at a rate they can't absorb. So say in your hearts, fathers, I can disappoint someone else so I don't disappoint my children. Say it in your heart. You can. And when you choose to not disappoint your kids, you're going to see them in a whole new light. They won't be embittered towards you. They won't hold things against you in their hearts that they're not telling you about. If you're an adult in the room, you, what, you know what it's like to be disappointed. Most people get over disappointment pretty easily in adulthood. It's not easy for a kid to get over disappointment. After you've said it in your heart that you can, now I want you to say, I will. You must move from... I can to, I will. I can, I will. Move to, I will. I will give the keys to the camper of my heart so that the Holy Spirit can fix broken things. And the Holy Spirit is so good at fixing broken things, dismantling your ego, helping you put your priorities in a godly order. It's going to look like confessing where you are at in your life and surrendering what you have to him right now. Give him the keys to the camper of your heart so that he can walk in and address all the broken things. It's going to look like for you, just for a moment maybe, to allow the facade of the polished exterior drop away 
so that you can say, yes, there's these broken parts of who I am. People don't know about them, but I'm desperately anxious all of the time and confused about my role as a dad and a father and a husband and someone who works in the marketplace. But I want to be someone who's not anxious, who's not depressed, who can fulfill the calling on my life to be someone who contributes not just good to my family, but the kingdom at large to help this thing grow, to reach all of Indianapolis with the gospel. It's going to take you allowing the Holy Spirit inside to fix the broken things. It'll first be you telling someone that there's broken things on the inside. It will be, I have an inflated sense of self. That's broken. Tell someone that. Tell someone that you've given all of your time and energy to up and to the right and forgot your children's middle names. Tell them so that the Holy Spirit can sweep in like a fresh wind and bring you back to himself and help you put these priorities of yours in a godly order. Here's the deal. We are so uncapable of putting these priorities in order by ourselves, your default position is not of mercy and purity. That's the Holy Spirit's default position. So if you want to become the kind of person who leads with an aura, an essence of mercy, an aura and an essence of purity, you must be soaking in the presence of the Holy Spirit so much that the sponge of your life absorbs the presence of the Holy Spirit so that when you are wrung out, guess what comes out? The Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. You must first exist with God an inner life that is commensurate with your outer life so that you would absorb and soak in and soak up the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life because you will get wrung. You're going to get it. You get it in church. You get it in the marketplace. You get it at the hospitals. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, and I've experienced. You will get wrung out. But what is going to come out of you is either going to be the Holy Spirit or whatever the world has taught you, the dog-eat-dog, the anger, the rage, being defeated, leading from a dry well, you got to soak up the Holy Spirit. And then finally, you must commit. Go from I can to I will to I must. Commit to I must. Every single one of you has enough time to commit to sitting with God long enough that the sponge of your life soaks up the presence of the Holy Spirit. It takes only a moment to put a sponge under a faucet, and then that sponge is now soaked and saturated with water. Same as with the Holy Spirit. It takes just a moment for your heart to be readied and open for the Holy Spirit to sweep in, fill it to the top, so that the sponge of your life, your soul saturated with the Holy Spirit. I made venison again for my kids. Except this time, I took a little bottle of marinade and I put it in a Ziploc bag 
And I took all these slices of venison and I put them inside of the bag and I let them soak for 24 hours. I let them marinate for 24 hours. For 24 hours, this gamey red meat began to change and transform into something absolutely delicious. If you want to bring flavor to your family, you too must regularly soak in the Holy Spirit's presence, in Christ's presence. I know every single one of you dads wants to bring your family some flavor. And they're going to experience that flavor from you. Your kids don't care about how far up and to the right your deal is. They don't. They don't care what argument you got in at work. They don't care that you got 150 emails by noon on Monday. What they care about is if you are flavorful or not. Are they getting your wrath? Or could they get your mercy and purity instead? Because God's favor is on those who are merciful and pure in heart. Someone who's got their priorities in a godly order. It's not that hard. It will take some intentionality on your part, Dad. But you must set aside a time to sit with Jesus and allow Jesus to work with you right where you're at so he can give you all of the good flavors of his presence so that you can bring the most delicious meal to your family. So let's do this. Let's have everyone close their eyes for a minute. And just in a moment of, a pensive moment of worship, perhaps if, um, if you are married, uh, spouse, if you would just put your hand on your husband's shoulder or hold his hand. Um, if you are a, if you were a child and you're sitting next to your, your dad, perhaps you could just put your, your hand on his hand or on his, well, put your arm around, around him so he feels covered by your, by your presence. And let's just say this. You have more people in your corner than you think you do, dad. You just gotta look around. You're probably married to her. They probably look to you all the time. You're doing better than you think you are. But if you think you're doing super, super well, you're probably not doing that good. You're probably somewhere in the middle. So God, we just pray right now and call on your spirit to give the men in the room the courage to sit with you and soak up your presence so that they can bring a flavor to their family. They can bring a flavor to their wife if they're married, to, the, to their children if they have them. And if they're single in the room and they're a man and they're under the sound of my voice right now, I pray that all of these learnings would make, them, make their way deep inside that man's soul so that he would become someone prepared if you've called him for a family. God, we cannot do this without you. We've tried. We've tried. May there be a whole new generation of Jesus followers and kingdom workers not as a result of great churches, but as a result of great families who are part of great churches. May discipleship happen at home and be supplemented at the local church. May there be a whole generation of dads committed right now to the family whose kids can be raised in the presence of you, Jesus, 
whose marriages would continue to stay intact and improve and grow in mutual submission, in mutual support, in mutual sacrifice. So God, I pray for that daughter right now and that son right now who are hoping and expecting and desiring a change in their dad. Would you just give them patience, understanding, help them where they're at, Jesus. And I pray that you would give the man in the room the courage to make massive, meteoric changes in their life. And if the only change they make is to sit with you long enough to soak up your flavor, may that be it, Jesus. We worship you, we thank you, and we ask for a new generation of dads to take lead, love their family, sacrifice for their wife and children, be present in their community, but first and foremost, sit with you. In your perfect and flavor-filled name, Jesus, we said, amen.